theme for the last uh, five weeks, which because of our absences has stretched out to about ten weeks, but it is really only five weeks, people. Um, and we've been talking about strengthening ourselves. We began the year looking at, you know, everybody has resolutions and things we want to do differently this year. And, and, and you know, we don't want to keep revisiting the same things. If you want to be different, you've got to do different things. Amen? If you want to change, then you have to make changes. Um, our intentions, as wonderful and grandiose as they may be, won't change your life. Good intentions don't change your life. It's when you put legs to those intentions and you sit back and you look at where you want to go and you work out a way to get there. We went to Tamworth this week and the first thing I did was I jumped on Google Maps and I looked at the way. I still got lost, but anyway, I looked at the way. One wrong turn. I blamed Google Maps. It was outdated. But we got there. But I look at, I know where I want to go and then I plot a course to get me there so that I know I'm going to end up at the right place. And too often with our intentions, we have an intention of going somewhere, but we don't plot a course. Therefore, how do we guarantee or how do we encourage or how do we know that we're going to get there? We don't because we leave too many things to chance. And unfortunately, the biggest area of our lives we leave to chance is our spiritual side of life. It's our walk with God. And so we've been looking at what do we need to do this year to strengthen ourselves in God. We've all got other things we'd like to do, get a new house or a new car or promotion, all that stuff, and that's wonderful and great. But we've been talking specifically about strengthening ourselves in God. And what are some of the things that we need to do, be intentional about at the start of this year, form some habits, get some routine, so that at the end of the year we are stronger in our faith in God than what we were at the start of the year. And so we've been talking, I think the first week we looked at the Word of God, being intentional about our time in the Word of God, not treating it like a, a, a magazine or a newspaper, but realizing that Jesus and my words are spirit and their life. There's spirit and life in the Bible. So we looked at getting in the Word of God. We looked at the power of fellowship, of being committed to gathering together with other believers, um, not just here on a Sunday morning, but even things like the ladies getting together for coffee. There's a strengthening that takes place in us. Most of us don't go to work, make a mistake, go to the boss and say, I've got no way out of this. I don't know what to do. And he says, well, let's pray together. Most of us don't have that luxury. You know, most of us are either roused on or told you're an idiot or maybe you can't do the job and I'll give it to somebody else. But, but, you know, when we get around other believers, you know, you people in this room, you're part of a very limited group of people in my life that will actually encourage me to go to God over things, not just throw the towel in or not just have another beer and you'll be right. You know, so we need fellowship. We need one another. And we need to get that as a part of our uh, established routine of life. Third thing was discipleship, pouring ourselves into other people, not just being like the rest of the world, not being conformed to the way the world is. The world is very consumer kind of a mentality. What's in it for me? I'll only do things if there's something in it for me. Uh, most of my relationships revolve around what can I get out of you? We should be thinking, well, no, what can we pour of ourselves into other people? How can we be a blessing? We're blessed of God to bless other people. And I might not be perfect, but I've won some battles. I've climbed over some mountains. I've had some successes and so on. And if I can pour a bit of myself into you and help you go further than you are right now, then I should be doing that. The Bible calls it discipleship. That's what Jesus did. He poured himself into 12 people, and the rest is history. The church is here. We're sitting here because of what he did in pouring himself into them as he poured himself out for all of mankind. And the disciples went on and they poured themselves into other people, took their experiences, their knowledge, the things they knew, and poured that into others. So it didn't just die with them. 
And so last time we got together, we talked about that, pouring ourselves in to other people. I want to finish off this sort of uh, train of thought this week by talking about the last one of my points. And the fourth one was this, sharing our faith. Now, I know that some of you are going, it's almost like you know, dropping a, a foul word when people say, start talking about this. And we have all kinds of ideas and images and it conjures up fear and all kinds of weird things. And maybe the street corner preacher you saw waving his Bible in the air in the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane screaming, repent or burn and all that sort of stuff. I'm not talking about the way that we do it. I'm not talking about the how, but I'm talking about that desire in our heart that we want to share this great news of the forgiveness of sin, how we can be live free of guilt and condemnation, how we can walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done. To have that desire inside of us to actually want to share that. See, I think that's what's lacking in a lot of areas of church life. We love to pray. We desire to pray. We desire to hear from God. We desire to be blessed of God. We desire to be healed. We desire to be delivered. We desire to walk in life. But to tell somebody else the pathway to those things, uh, it's not too sure. That's going to cost me a little bit, perhaps. And maybe I don't want to put it out there. I was reading in the Bible this week a couple of interesting verses, and I've never noticed them before, but they just stood out to me this week. And it's in the book of John. No? See, I should have my glasses on. In the book of Mark, chapter 7, and verse 24, it says this. It says, From there... Speaking of Jesus, he arose and he went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And watch this. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Jesus went into a house and was like, I, I don't want anyone to know I'm here. But the Bible says that he couldn't be hidden. Jesus could not hide himself. Think about that. He doesn't want anyone to know he's there, so he hides. Himself. He can heal the sick, raise the dead, part the waters, create a world, but he can't hide himself from society. Isn't that amazing? You've got all power and authority, Jesus, but you can't hide yourself from the rest of the world. You move down to another 12 verses in verse 36. After he's done some miracles, it says, Then he committed them, com- commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. So first of all, he's hiding himself in a building going, I don't want anyone to know I'm here, but he can't hide himself. Then he's saying to other people, don't go telling everybody what I've done for you. For whatever reason, part of it was the chaos and madness that was going to follow him everywhere he went. He wasn't here for a publicity uh, journey. You know, he didn't fly into Australia, roll out the red carpet to do a publicity thing. Hey, I'm Jesus. It's, you know, hey, 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 you know. He came here for a specific reason. His whole life revolved around one moment in time, and that was him hanging on that cross. And along the way, he fulfilled a whole bunch of Old Testament prophecies just to prove to us that this, is, this storyline was thought about by God thousands of years before Jesus even came. But he didn't come on a publicity stunt. So he comes into town and he goes, I don't want everybody to know. I don't need all the fanfare and stuff. I'm here for a purpose and an agenda. But he couldn't hide himself. Then other people experienced him and he says to them, don't go tell anyone. And they did. You know what? Here's the miracle. I reckon we are on the brink of performing one of the greatest miracles of all time. As a Western church, we are right on the brink of doing something Jesus himself could not do. We are right on the edge of hiding Jesus from the rest of the world. Isn't that amazing? We are right on the brink of performing the most amazing miracle. We are hiding Jesus from everybody out there. 
He couldn't do it, but we're about to do something he could not do. I don't think that's what he meant when he said, greater things than these shall you do. I don't think that's what he meant. You know, we had the passing this week of Billy Graham. Everybody see that on the news? I was so sad. At the same time, excited. Excited that this man finally got to be with the one that he had loved so passionately and had gone around the world and proclaimed so diligently. But when I heard about that, the thing that made me sad was I felt like, Billy Graham, you represent something that's really lacking in the body of Christ. And that is a bold proclamation of who Jesus is in the public arena. It was almost like, I know it's not the case, but I had this feeling like it's like we've just lost our loudest voice. And we're getting one step closer to hiding Jesus from the rest of the world. It's sad. It's sad. But you know what the answer is to that? Turn to your neighbour and say, well, you're the answer to that. You're the answer to that. I'm the answer to that. I don't want to be a part of the generation that usher in the silencing of Christianity for whatever reason, whether it be political correctness, whether it be fear of this, and concern about that. I don't want to be a part of that group of people that finally close the lid on Christianity and go, right, yeah, well, if you want it, you can come to us now and we'll tell you a bit about it because that's not what Jesus said. He said to the disciples in Matthew 28, you go into their arena, go into the highways and the byways and, and, and when you go, make sure that you are open to the possibility of sharing your faith with the rest of the world. Amen? Make sure you are open to the thought of being a vehicle for God to speak through you. You know, each of us have a God-given sphere of influence in our life. That is a group of people that are connected to you in relationship. Your sphere of influence is totally and utterly unique to you. Nobody else on planet Earth has that same group of people connected to them with the same unique depth of relationship as you have with your group of people. It's called a sphere of influence. Now let me explain to you simply what a sphere of influence is. It's relationships whereby you have no authority over, but you do have power to influence change. So you may have no authority over those people, but by virtue of your relationship, you do have the opportunity to influence change in their life. Change in the way they think about themselves. Change in the way they think about the world around them. Change in the way they see God. Change in the way they think about God. No authority over, but we have the power to influence these people. Here's a question for you. What is the primary source of influence you hope to impart into the lives of those in your sphere? What is the primary thing inside of you that if you had one thing only that you could get out of them, put into them, invest one thing, what's that thing inside of you? What's that one thing? What's that passion? Let me give you some examples. If you're an employer and you've got people under your employ, is it just to get them to be productive during work hours to increase your bottom line? Is that the number one drive in those relationships? I just want you to work harder to make more money for me. 
And that's the number one thing. When I look at you, that's, the first, that's what I think of. If you're an employee, is it just to get the boss to like you so that you get the next promotion? Or so you get the opportunity that might be handed to somebody else? If you're a friend, is it just simply to get them to like you more and to think and act, etc., probably more like you do? So we can be even better friends. If you're a parent, is it just to get your kids to do and be what you think they should do and be? Is that the primary motivation, the primary influence you want? Is that the primary thing that you want to use that influence to do in the lives of those people? If you're a teacher, for example, at a school, is it just to get them through school with a high academic standard? Is that all? Is that just... Now let me say this. All of the things I just mentioned are good. There's nothing wrong with any of them. But surely within us, when we look at people and the relationships around us, people made in the image of God. If we believe in heaven and hell, if we believe in eternal separation from God, if we believe in eternal life, if we believe that life is short and it could be snuffed out at any moment in time, surely there must be a primary motivation even bigger beyond that. But you know what? I want this person to be with me for eternity. I want this person who right now is disconnected from God to understand the love of God. I want them to feel that. Do we have that motivation inside of us? Because I think we're called to influence people more than just their time here on earth and make them better here. I think that we're here to influence people for their life in eternity and beyond as well. What am I doing within that sphere of influence? Do I pray for these people? It's not about getting in their face and, you know, next walk out of here now and go and tell everybody I'm a Christian and you need to come to Jesus. It's not about that. But see, I I think God works like this. I think God creates the opportunities. But he creates opportunity for people who are willing to walk into it. If we have a heart that says, I wouldn't do it anyway, then I think... That's probably why we don't find those opportunities to pop up around us. Because God looks down and goes, why would I give you the opportunity? It's not in you to want to take it. For whatever reason, it doesn't make you a bad person. But I think God looks around for people who are going, you know what, I'm actually real, I'm open, I'm sold out on my faith. I don't have back doors, I'm not, I, I, I don't care what other people think as much as it must be uncomfortable and so on, but I've made a decision here that I'm going to uh, be here on earth for X amount of years and as much as I can, Lord, I'm going to make it my mission to overpopulate heaven and populate hell with the time I've got here. Is that anywhere in the mix of our makeup, anywhere in the mix of our life? In John chapter 1, we have a really interesting group of stories about how the good news of Jesus travels best through a society. You know, the good news travels best when it travels through relationships. Billy Graham, um, I used to get on the, their website, and you still can, you can sign up on the website, but he used to do a lot of evangelism statistics all around the world and stuff like that. And one of the things that I read several years back was that uh, of all the people that come to his big crusades and that come forward at the altar. He would get tens of thousands of people. You know, I found out the other day that he holds the record attendance at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Did you know that? To this day, the record attendance at the Melbourne Cricket Ground was a Billy Graham crusade back in, I think, the 50s. They still, they, 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 AFL mad down there, they run AFL games, and they still can't fill that stadium with a sport like they did with this one man who wanted to talk about spiritual things. Times have changed, I get that. 
They understand that we live in a different world. They understand that the mentality of people is different, that society shifted in the way we view things. But I was excited about that. I thought, God, you've done it once. You can do it again. You can do it again, God. We're not victims here. We need to walk around like victors. You know, we are the head, not the tail. We are above, not the We win. Anyone read the back of this? We actually win in the end. Isn't that great? We win. I want as many people to win with us. In John chapter 1, we've got this story. And it displays how the good news travels through relationships. In verse 35, it says this. It says, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. So here's John standing with two people with whom he has relationship. Two of his followers. Two people that he has relationship with. And looking at Jesus... As he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So here's John pointing two of his friends to Jesus, going, Hey, look at Jesus. Have a look at Jesus. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. They heard him speak. Their friend, John, spoke to them and said, There's Jesus. And they said, Oh, let's follow Jesus. In verse 38, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, he says to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher, where are you staying? He takes them to where they're staying. In verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother. The first place he went when he found Jesus was to who? His own brother. Somebody with whom he already had relationship. Somebody that was in that sphere of influence. So John the Baptist has this sphere of influence and he shares with them. And lo and behold, they accept Christ. They followed Jesus. And one of them following Jesus then says, well, I'm going to go and tell somebody in my sphere of influence about Jesus. He finds his brother. And he says, we found the Messiah. He found his own brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So here we see it again, another person reaching out to someone in their sphere of influence and bringing them to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, which you will be called Cephas, which is translated as stone. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said, him, Follow me. So he's found this dude called Philip. He found this dude called Philip. Watch this. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. He doesn't say it, but perhaps. These guys said to Jesus, there's a really cool guy I reckon might be open called Philip. He's in our town. Why don't we go and get him and tell him? And so Jesus just happens to find a guy that is known by these other people. Possibly we're seeing another sphere of influence being reached out to here. In verse 43, Philip found Nathanael. It said to him, we have found him of whom Moses spoke and so on. Philip found Nathaniel. He didn't just find some stranger, he knew Nathaniel. So he's gone looking for Nathaniel, said, Nathaniel, we found the one, the Messiah. I'm wondering if Philip must have had conversations with him in the past and he knew he'd be interested in this piece of information because we've had spiritual chats before. So I, I knew that you would be interested in this. And we look at that simple passage and we see the gospel travelling through these spheres of relationship. There are less boundaries, less things to get through. It's more natural. People know each other. They trust each other. They know they're for each other. And so the gospel travels along those lines. And so we see John the Baptist who has relationship with his two disciples and he points them to Jesus. Then we see Andrew who has relationship with his brother Peter, brings him to Jesus. And then we see Philip, who happens to come from the same town as these other guys, come to Jesus. And then Philip, who has relationship with Nathaniel, goes and brings him 
to Jesus. You know, Billy Graham Institute has done some up-to-date research. And this is what they found. 89% of people are open to having a spiritual conversation with their friends. 89% of people in their research, they're actually open to having a spiritual conversation. Not with just anybody. Not with a stranger. But with a friend. But what he also found is that less than 39% of Christians in the last six months have even had a spiritual conversation with someone that doesn't know Jesus. Jesus put it this way years ago. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's never been a problem with the harvest. He said it's the labourers. It's the workers that are the problem. Nobody wants to talk about me. Nobody wants to, to... Bring me outside the walls of the church and into everyday life scenarios and situations. We're afraid for various reasons and we keep Jesus hidden and we keep him locked up on the inside of us. Now, if we believe in the reality of God, the message and the purpose of the cross, then what stops us from sharing that with other people? Well, I think that's a loaded question with a lot of answers. I want to quickly, in closing, just address three things really quickly that I think are major issues that stop us from sharing our faith with people in our workplace and in our relationship sphere around us. There's nothing profound here. They're very simple, but I'll throw them out. The first one is the fear of rejection. It's the fear of rejection. John 1, verse 10 and 11 says this, speaking of Jesus. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus himself knows what it feels like to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to have something great to impart to the world and have them say no. They went so far as taking him physically and crucifying him on a cross. So God understands that that fear we have inside of being rejected. He doesn't, he doesn't get down on us. He's not punishing us for it. He's not mad at us. He understands that, hey, none of us want to be rejected. Do you know why? Because I'm made in the image of God. And God doesn't want to be rejected by humanity. He wants to be accepted. But he won't compromise who he is to get the acceptance of man. And sometimes that's what we do. We do compromise a little on our values. We compromise a little on who we are in order to not feel that sting of rejection. Jesus himself was rejected. Here's the thing. We will never become all that God wants us to be if we're getting our acceptance in the eyes of men. If your primary source of acceptance and value comes in how people see you, you will never reach your potential in God. Ever. And you'll never find a place of peace within yourself too. Because I think the most frustrated people are those that kind of straddle both sides of the fence. I want to be accepted here. I also want to be accepted here. It's not about going, I don't want to be accepted there. I want to be accepted out there in the world. And I believe that we can. But I believe there's a pathway to that acceptance. And it's not something we fight for and we make happen. Look at Billy Graham. How well respected was that man. Yet he stood with principle. He stood alongside of his values. He didn't bend it and wave at a popular opinion. He didn't go to one group of people and act one way to fit in another group and act another way. He was who he was. And I don't think anybody outside the walls of a church could say that man was not respected and accepted, no matter where he went. Might not have accepted the message completely that he had, but they accepted him. And we need to come to a place where we understand that our primary place of acceptance is in God. It's not in people. It's not in men. As long as we're looking for it in man, we too will hold back. 
with our message. We'll hold back from living out the gospel uh, in front of people and, and within the relationship sphere that we have. John 12, 42 to 43 says this. It says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Because they loved the praise of men more, they laid down their values and what they actually believed on the inside because they didn't want to be rejected by the religious leaders. As a result, they missed the mark of God. As a result, they never walked into their fullness. As a result, their witness would have been watered right down. Here's people saying, I believe this stuff, but I'm going to live in such a way that I really don't have much of a witness. First of all, because I don't want you to know I believe it. Are we that kind of a people? Are we afraid of rejection? Is a fear of rejection what holds you back in your workplace with your mates? And again, I'm not talking about ringing them up and sitting them down and going, I just want to let you know straight away I'm a Christian. I'm not saying do that. But I'm saying if we have that fear and we allow ourselves to bow to that, why would God open opportunity for us to speak to them? If he knows we won't take it. If the fear of rejection is so overpowering in our world. The second reason why I believe we don't do it is because we have a fear of losing our reputations. Reputations. You know, some of us have spent our whole lives building reputations in different areas. Some of us, some people base their whole business around their reputation. Some people build their whole self-esteem around their reputation. Nothing wrong with a good reputation. The Bible says we should have a good reputation, especially amongst unbelievers. Is that what the Bible teaches? We should have good reputations. But if we don't want to share because... We feel like bringing Jesus, attaching Jesus to my reputation will tarnish it. Then we need to go back to the drawing board and ask God why. Why? Here's what the Bible says about Jesus and his reputation. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. In other words, this is how Jesus saw it. And I think you should see it the same way too. It says, being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But watch what he did. He made himself of no reputation. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. Jesus came saying, I am God in the flesh. And he humbled himself and died and looked like a defeated, battered, beaten person. He didn't care about the reputation. I don't think God was that concerned about his reputation when he sent Jesus. He knew how people were going to see it. He knew what people were going to think. But he said, I don't really care about that. I'll make myself of no reputation other than the reputation that I have in heaven. And where are we building a reputation? Are we more concerned about building a reputation here on earth? And having people on earth pat us on the back and cheer us on. Or are we more concerned about building a reputation for ourselves in heaven? You can build a reputation here on earth and make that the source, the primary focus. Or you can build yourself a reputation in heaven by standing for God. By being honest about your faith with people. When them opportunities come up, not shying away from the tough conversations. Not shying away from those moments where you go, well this could go either way right now. If I bring Jesus into this, this could go either way. And I'm thinking if I bring Jesus into this, it's probably going to go the wrong way and I'm probably going to lose my reputation. Do we think like that? Are these some of the things that hold you back in your sphere of influence, fear of rejection, fear of losing reputation? The third one is a fear of persecution. Nobody likes to be spat at. Nobody likes to be hit. 
Nobody likes to be verbally abused. We don't want to be persecuted. I mean, if you do, then come and see me after church. I'll hook you up with a doctor who can talk to you about whatever's going on up there. You shouldn't want to be persecuted any more than you should want to be rejected or should want to have a bad reputation. But a fear of persecution. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed. If you're persecuted for being a clown, well, so be it. But if you're persecuted for standing for righteousness, if you're persecuted for bringing Jesus into the public sphere, if you're persecuted for saying to somebody struggling, I don't have any other answers, but would you mind if I prayed for you? Have you seen... can, Can I show you what the Bible says? Would you like to come to church and meet some... If you're persecuted for righteous things, Jesus says, guess what? You're actually blessed. You are blessed of God. Who are you going to believe? What you think, what you feel? Or are you going to believe what God says? If you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus says you're blessed. You're blessed. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It is a promise. If you want to walk with God wholeheartedly, you are going to feel resistance. You are going to feel uh, from the world out there, you are going to feel barbs occasionally. It's going to happen. But do we bend to that? So here's the thing. They don't bend. The world doesn't bend. They just keep about... You ever notice that? They just go about and they'll do their thing. And they'll listen to whatever spirit's speaking out there and they'll just take society down whatever pathway they want. And meanwhile, more and more and more in our little spheres of influence, Jesus is there going, hey, I don't want to be hidden. I don't want to be hidden. I don't want you to be silent all the time. I don't want you to be afraid to speak up occasionally. Because here's the other thing. You don't know how many people sitting around in that sphere of influence are waiting for someone to point them in some direction other than the direction they're heading. I've been amazed over the years, the conversations I've had with people who I did not think would have any interest in a spiritual conversation. But as soon as you bring something up, all of a sudden... I remember being at work as a manager at Dan Murphy's one day and we had this uh, uh, English guy there and uh, he was pretty hardcore, wild living and all, the whole thing. And one day we're sitting there and uh, he's talking about something going on in his life and I just said, um, look, mate, I'm, I'm praying for you. Next thing he turns around, it's just me and him in the office. And he goes, really? Can I tell you about a dream I had last night? I said, yeah, and he begins to tell me this dream that he had where Jesus came to him in a dream. He's asking me to explain it. And I said, look, I can't explain that. I can't interpret that dream. But what I can tell you is this, is that, that I'm praying for you. You've, you've had this dream. I think you should go and ask God what's he saying to you. Why don't you go and ask him? And then I turned back to my computer trying to look cute as a cucumber, but I'm thinking, my goodness, wow. No one, nobody would believe me if I said he talked to me about God. Nobody on planet Earth. And I wonder how many other conversations are out there waiting to be started, waiting to be had. How many people are more open to hearing about Jesus? You see, the world is selling them all kinds of lies and people are getting tired. Materialism, it's not working. Having all the money in the world's not working. The relationships, this, it's not working. They're looking for an alternative, but they're just being swept along with the current of the world until somebody stands up and goes, you know what, I've got a different opinion. I've got a different perspective. Have you thought about this? Can I share this with you? Let me talk about my experience. Amen? And we push a little bit against that current. 
You know, there's a pressure in society today not to talk about Jesus. Has anybody seen that ad on TV at the moment, Canadian Club and Dry? I'm not promoting alcohol, but I love the ad. They're sitting in a pub, and a guy's sitting there with a beer, and his mate turns to him and he goes, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong, mate? And he goes, I don't like beer. And the whole pub goes silent. You ever seen that ad? And then what happens? Why do you drink it? Well, my dad drinks it. And then... Uh, he says, sorry, Big Tony drinks it. And then the camera goes, zoom to Big Tony. And he's standing there going, yeah, but I don't like it. I just drink it because this person. And before you know it, they're all going, we just drink it because these people drink it. We don't even like it. And all it took was one person to stand up and go, I don't like beer. And they're all drinking Canadian clubs in the pub. One person that stood against the current was honest and said, I don't like that. And I see that ad and I think, man, Jesus, stir in our hearts to be that man. Stir in our heart to be that man that will stand there and go, you know what, no, I don't like this. No, I don't want to go that way. Now, I think differently than everybody else. And somebody else might stand up and go, you know what, I think a bit like that too, but no one's provoked me to think that way. No one's provoked me, asked me the questions to get me thinking about anything other than this direction. We all hit him, we go to the pub, we pour a beer, we all drink a beer, but we all hate it. And I think the world is full of people who are sick and tired of what they've got. But they've got no other alternative because we're too silent. We're too concerned about our reputations. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to look like idiots. We don't want to look like clowns. And God's up there going, come on, man. Come on, people. I've given you a sphere of relationship and influence. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll empower you. I'll give you the words to say. I'll open the doors if you'll just tell me, commit to me that you'll walk through them. Then I'll give them to you and I'll open them up. Christy, I want you to jump on the keyboard for me while I finish up. I want to pray for some people this morning. We've talked about a few things that we can do and put in our world to strengthen ourselves. You know what? Of all the four things I've talked about, this one is probably the one I'm most passionate about because of the way I'm wired. I want to pray for some people this morning because I believe that when we pray, we can impart a measure of the Spirit of God to one another. And I want to pray for you this morning. If you feel anything stirring inside of you today, maybe that's you. You might not, I'm not saying you're going to walk out of here and go and tell everyone about Jesus in your workplace, but maybe you'll for the first time go to God tonight and go, okay, God, I just want to say to you, Lord, open me up so I can be that person. God, I just want to open myself up a little bit more to the possibility of being that person. So that in my sphere of influence, if you see something you want to do, something you want to say, God, you would know that you've got someone there who's going, here am I, send me. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to finish up with a story about a friend of mine in Bundaberg. And we moved up there when we got married, and I've always been big into sport, particularly touch football. So I went down to the local grounds and got involved in a touch football team and uh, met this, this group of people. None of them were Christians. And anyway, I jumped in with the team and started playing football with them and touch with them, and then we started doing the occasional barbecue and things like that. We got to know each other pretty well. There was a woman called Marie. Cut a long story short, one night, Marie drove out of town to a party. She had too much to drink. So did her friends. She jumped back in a car after having an argument with her best friend. Been friends since they were kids. She jumped into a car and in anger stormed back into Bundaberg. Just as she got into town, she hit a traffic island. car rolled and flipped. She landed upside down in the Harvey Norman car park. Her friend about, didn't know any of this had happened, but 10 minutes after Marie left, her friend thought, I've got to go and find Marie and make this right. 
So she jumped in a car. She's driving into town. As she did, she saw this car upside down. She was the first person to get to it. She thought, oh, no. She jumped out and held Marie's hand, and Marie passed away. She died. I remember going to Marie's funeral, and I stood there at the funeral, and all these people were there. Marie's partner was there and her two kids. And I remember watching as they lowered her casket into the ground, and one of the children leaning on the headstone like this, looking down, going, that's not my mummy in there. That's not my mummy in there. And I thought, well, God, I feel for... Dad's got to explain this to you one day somehow, but just the defiance in this kid, that's not my mum. And I, I, I got it. But while I was watching that whole funeral take place and we drove away, I thought, you know what, God? Of all the influence that I had in her life, helping her be a better touch football player, you know, what direction to turn your body when you make a touch or how to run or the rules. If I could have my time back again, you know, the only influence I wish I had exerted on her was an influence towards Jesus. But you know what? Back then, I never had a spiritual conversation with her. Not one. Yet I know I had a good enough relationship with her that I could have brought it up. Now, I don't, I'm not down on myself. I'm not, I didn't make... I didn't make her drink. I didn't make her drive. I didn't make her crash. I don't feel guilty before God at all. But I still think about that. If I had that moment again and God said to me, you've got one thing. What's the one primary motivating thing inside of you in this relationship? If you, can, if you have the opportunity to impart one thing to her, to leave her with one thing in life, what would it be? And now I think, God, that's a no-brainer. I wish I could somehow have left her with Jesus. What she did with that is her business. She can accept it, reject it. That's her business. But I just wish that I had been bold enough to bring up the conversation or that I had ears enough to hear when the opportunity might have been right to do that or that I had have got before the Father and prayed and said, Lord, I've got this great relationship. Can you open a door for me so I can share with her? Some years later, we were living in Brisbane and uh, we had this neighbour and Jackie built this great relationship with this neighbour of ours. And this neighbour, we moved, lost track with this neighbour. I remember one day we decided, why don't we get some people together and let's all pray for one person that, that God, specifically for that one person that doesn't know you, Lord, give me opportunity to share with that person. And I said to Jackie, who are you going to pray for? She said, you know what, I want to pray for that neighbour of ours. We, we'd lost contact with her for about a year when we moved, but there was a relationship there. I want to pray for the neighbour. And so we prayed this particular night. We prayed for her. Next morning, I think Jackie might have been dropping the kids at preschool or something, and there's this knock at the door. I go downstairs, I open the door. It's this lady. How are you? Oh, good. I was just, I've been walking around the streets here in northern suburbs of Brisbane, just my morning sort of fitness walk thing. And I saw the car and I thought, that looks like Alan and Jackie's car. So I just thought I'd boldly walk up to the door, knock on the door and see if it was Alan and Jackie. I said, well, it is Alan and Jackie. How are you? <laughs> How passionate is God about us connecting with these people? One prayer. One prayer. And this woman came to my door and knocked. See, if we have a willing heart 
as frightening as what it is, if we can just stand before God and say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing, God, to be your instrument. To realize that I don't just have this sphere of relationships for natural purposes, but there's a, a reason in the kingdom and economy of God as to why I have these people. I want to just pray this morning for anybody that feels a little bit stirred by God in this. I want to pray for the Spirit of God to bubble up on the inside. I want to pray for God to give you opportunity. I want to pray that, that something would shift inside. Maybe you're sitting here going, I wish I was like that, but I'm not. This, I'm not talking about a gifting thing. I don't believe that this is just something, if you're an evangelist, you feel this way. If you don't, you don't. I think you value things because they've got value. And people have value and God has value. And you connect those two things together, that's a valuable commodity. I don't think it's good enough for us to go, I'm not an evangelist. I can take you to the Bible and unravel that theology very quickly with the amount of people that were not evangelists. Matter of fact, the only thing the Bible says about evangelists is that they're a gift to you to equip you to do it. It doesn't say they'll do it. If that's you, I, I, I just want you to stand up this morning. I just want to pray for you. That God would stir something in our spirits. There's three ways to grow a church. The first one is biological growth. Tim and Tiff, you guys are killing it. That's where we have babies and bring them in. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to build my church. It's an important part, but it's not it. The second one's transitional growth. It's where people just move the furniture around in the kingdom of God. They leave other churches and come to different churches. I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Third one is people who don't know Jesus yet. Going, you know what? I need his grace. I need his love. I need his forgiveness. I need his love. I turn my life over to him. And when you see that, that's what Jesus meant when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if that's you, just want you to stand. I'm just going to pray and we'll finish up and we can all head off. Don't be awkward, as I think. Sometimes people sit down and go, it doesn't really matter. Well, I want to say something I think it does. Standing up is like a faith step. It's like just your way of saying, God, that's me. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for each person in this room. God, I pray, Father, that we would have a heart to reach out to people. God, I'm reminded of Isaiah, the passage in Isaiah where Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And Lord, it always strikes me that I, I, you weren't talking to Isaiah. There was a conversation in heaven. He just happened to eardrop and hear it. And God, I pray that we would be like that. We would eardrop on the conversations of heaven at the right time. We would be the one saying, hey, I'm here. I've got relationship. Here I am. And Father, for those who have stood this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, move upon their hearts. God, I pray right now, uh, just fill them in a fresh and a new way this morning. Holy Spirit, come upon them with a fresh sense of power and a fresh sense of authority this morning, Lord. And when we leave this place, that as they walk out of here, God, I pray that they would see things differently. I pray that they would see things with fresh eyes, with new eyes. I pray they'd look at the relationships around them with a fresh heavenly kingdom perspective as we go from this place this morning, God. And Father, I pray in the next week, open opportunities, God. Do something this week that each person would go, wow, 
That's God. I know that's God because I stood up that day at church and I opened my heart to the Father and I said, here am I, send me. Lord, do something, I pray, for each person here this week. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. We just say we love you this morning, God. We thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that this morning. And as each of us go out, whether we're standing or sitting here this morning, God, Give each of us an opportunity this week to share the goodness of God with someone that doesn't know you yet. We pray this together. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Have a fruitful week. Keep God at the center of your thoughts all week. Pray this week. Read your Bible this week. Fellowship this week. And take Jesus out into the streets. Amen? God bless you.